Crawford's just better now. That's all you can say. Run, Lindsey! Lindsey Scott! Lindsey Scott! Lindsey Scott! Welcome to the Blog the Dogs podcast. I'm your host, Herschel Gurley, joined as always by my co-host, Boss Dog. Boss, holler at the people. Welcome back, everyone. Sorry we're coming at y'all a little late for recruiting, but congratulations to the Dogs, number one recruiting class again. Yeah, number one recruiting class for the Dogs and also a Super Bowl championship for McCole Hardman. So a big week for folks with ties to the red and black. We want to say a big congratulations to McCole. Awesome deal. Second year in a row that a, a rookie dog has won a Super Bowl. Great for him. Great for the program. So congratulations, McCole. Yeah, congratulations, McCole. Also want to congratulate Andy Reid, lifer in football, and finally getting that ring and I loved his response that he didn't spend any time with the trophy. He spent the, the night with his trophy wife. That was a great response. So congratulations to Andy Reid as well. Yep. Like, like that response from Andy Reid. Also liked his response when asked what he was going to do to celebrate. He said, I'm going to get the biggest cheeseburger that I can find. Might even make it a double. That's my, my kind of guy. Tell, speak, speaking yeah. of cheeseburgers, speaking of cheeseburgers, tell everybody about uh, the movie or the TV quote that you told me about, or maybe it was like an actor's quote you told me about, about cheeseburgers and pizza. Oh, um, <laughs> so one of my favorite actors is David Tennant, most famously known for Doctor Who, but he's a great character actor as well. And someone asked him about his favorite food. And his response was nothing beats a great cheeseburger, but a bad pizza is still edible. Yeah. Boy, a lot of truth to that. Great words to live by. Yeah, th- those are. I mean, that, that's a pretty evolved quote right there. I, I appreciate that. So I, I like that. I like both a lot. It'd be one of those things where it'd be difficult to pick. Like if you could only have one for the rest of your life, what would you <laughs> pick? And I think you have to caveat that, right? Like with what what kind is it? Because what if it was like those old Tony's Pizza Squares you used to get on the green lunch trays at school? Like, I don't know if I could eat that the rest of my life. What if you got to eat five guys burgers the rest of your life? Mm. Like, you know, that matters, right? I think I think the classification matters. Quality definitely matters. Quality definitely yeah. matters. Quality matters for sure. Speaking of quality, Doug signed a lot of quality kids here, number one recruiting class in the country. What are your initial thoughts on that? I know it I guess too, let's kind of start off with a little bit different the last few years we're in what year three of the dual signing period so december signing period kind of takes a little bit of shine away from the traditional february signing period but still it's an event there were some good announcements for the dogs and and it closes out the class as number one so why don't you go ahead and speak to that biggest thing for me is this was a very drama free national signing day i mean there wasn't the big signing like george pickens last year which is perfectly fine with me they closed up shop they got project jones to sign they signed cedric van pran which as we spoke to last time we were both expecting the only flip was darren branch the defensive back who was previously committed to Ole miss but that wasn't as big a surprise because we already knew he was kind of looking around because of matt luke leaving the program so biggest thing for me is it was drama-free. They they did what they needed to do. They got the guys who were already committed, and they brought in a couple of other guys who were not previously committed. It was drama-free, and that was the biggest thing for me, and they finished number one. Now, 
kind of go back and forth with the uh, the sites. You know, I'm a Rivals guy. Some people are 247 composite, stuff like that. The biggest thing for me is is that if you break down like the class points, anything over 3,000 in the Rivals is a great class. And the dogs have been over 3,000 points the last three classes, which is huge because the top three classes in the Rivals all have over 3,000 points. But then once you start getting to you know, number six, they're under 2,700 points, which is really an additional one to two good players that they have on the roster. So that accumulates over time. Those could accumulate to additional starters, additional, I mean, if they're additional role players, you know, on your two deep, that additional players that really help your squad. So I think that great recruiting class for Kirby. He was always known as a great recruiter when he was with Bama and he just continues to do that year in and year out. And there's nobody I want on the trail more than him. Yeah, big takeaways for me. You know, obviously full class, 25 signees, six that enrolled early, 19 that have signed their national letters of intent. Uh, you also, you kind of have to look at it as a 28-person class, right? Because they also have Trey McKitty coming in, Jamie Newman coming in, and unless we forget Austin Kirksey, who's also coming in as a preferred walk-on. So kind of like a 28-person class, I think the focus obviously was on the offense. I think all but nine of those 28 are offensive players. So big focus in the offense, which seems obvious based on the performances last year. A lot of depth coming back on defense. I do think there are some very interesting defensive names in this class. I think Mikhail Sherman kind of got, yeah, I don't know, you say tossed to the side, but just, just not as much shine because they took his fifth star away because he was coming off the injury. But I think that kid's going to turn into a great player. You got Jalen Carter, who seems like every bit of a freak. Uh, Keely Ringo looks like he's going to be a freak. You know, Warren Brinson, everything I've seen and heard from him sounds awesome. I know we had spoken earlier in the week about DJ Shockley's interview with the the early enrollees. And, uh, you know, I came away so, so impressed with Major Burns. So just it seems like a good class and, and, and a good building block moving forward. Who's the name on this list that maybe people aren't talking about a lot that you think could make a big impact as he is developed within the program? Well, as far as being developed, I think you have to look at all the offensive linemen. I mean, there's seven that came in. There's going to be some that are going to be developed on here. Uh, I mean, there has to be with all of the the changeover on the offensive line. Obviously, Broderick Jones, Tate Radledge, the big name Cedric Van Pran I've talked about and gushed over at length. So I like uh, Blasky. And then bringing in Cameron Kinney, not as much known three-star. I think that that could be really good. But I don't want to focus on the offensive line because that's my wheelhouse. I want to kind of go out of that and really talk about Jalen Kimber, uh, really kind of a forgotten guy that kind of, he was a four-star on Rivals, three-star on the composite, not a 250 guy. Uh, you kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit. He was a really early commit, signed early as well. So he was really kind of one of those forgotten guys out of Texas, six foot, you know, a little bit on the lighter side for, he kind of reminds me a lot of like the Bob Wilson type, but you know, you put some, put some muscle on him and he could really develop into that star role. Also, I can't help but gush over Jalen Carter and, you know, he shot up the rankings towards the end of the season. So he's not really as an unknown. I think he could be, I don't necessarily want to say starting day one, but I think he could be contributing day one, kind of the way Trayvon Walker did this year. I expect big things from him this year. Not that this is a developmental thing either, but Kendall Milton, I mean, he's just a freak. And he also is so well-spoken that 
he's one of those guys I just, I'm expecting huge things from. On the flip side of that, one thing that I think we need to temper our expectations are, are a lot of these wide receivers. Wide receivers is a big transition from high school to college. And most of them coming, I think actually all of them are coming in during the summertime. So they're only going to have fall camp to get ready. I think middle of the season, they'll be contributing. But other than Justin Robinson, he was an early enrollee. I don't think don't think we need to can expect big things from them really starting week one against Virginia. I think we need to kind of like put pump the brakes on that a little bit. Big things towards the middle of the season, but that wide receiver class, while very talented, need to kind of, you know, expect the growing pains a little bit, just like there was with, with Pickens. Um, there's going to be some growing up to do to go, you know, with that physicality that there is in SEC play. Yeah, I'm intri- I'm intrigued by a couple names on here. The one in that wide receiver group I think may have the ability to have an early impact is Arian Smith, and that's just because of the speed. I mean, speed plays. I think we've saw that at the NFL level this year. I think you see it each year in the college level. I think whether it be on special teams, returning kicks, or or whatever it may be, if it's in third down packages where he's working out of the slot or they have some special screen packages for him, just think there has to be a way to get that speed on the field if possible. You know, the one that I I've looked at a lot in this class who I feel like kind of got swept under the rug mainly because he committed early and was a pretty hard commit throughout his Nazir Stackhouse. D-tackle comes in, big kid, almost 6'4", over 300 pounds. The D-line is going to be light with all the people that left after this year. You know, if, if he comes in and, and gets to the program quickly, I think you could see something good out of him as well. So I love the size they signed along both interior lines. So uh, excited about that. Um, I'm with you, too. I, I like Cameron Kenny. Uh, Kirby had mentioned about how they, they had done a poor job at Alabama and when he first got to Georgia about evaluating senior years of prospects. And he seemed to mention that directly with guys like Cameron Kenny and Lad McConkie and the production they had as seniors. So I'll be excited to see that as well. Good year for that. Not really any surprises on the dog side. Was there anything after National Signing Day that kind of piqued your interest or something that you went, well, I wasn't expecting that, or, or was it just kind of a, a bland signing day? The biggest um, thing was Avanti Williams signing with Miami. I think that was the biggest shocker. I think everybody expected him to sign with Florida. Anytime a bash on the Gators is a good day for me, but I mean, this isn't really to pile on. I didn't expect him to have that good a day with the six people that they were going after, but I did expect them to sign Williams. And I think one other person on that list, I was expecting them to sign. They signed none of the six that they were going after. Then they got somebody else later on. Williams spurring them from Miami. I mean, Diaz is a hell of a recruiter. He really is. Um, but just with the poor season that Miami had to get a highly coveted, I mean, I think he was like ranked in the top 50 to get a player like that, you know, to go to Miami over Florida just really, really surprised me. So that was the, really the only real big shock for me for signing day. Really, everything else was just kind of status quo. It was a very bland signing day. I mean, like I, like I mentioned earlier, I feel like this signing day is really, this isn't signing day anymore. The National signing day is in December and then everything else, this is kind of like second signing day. This isn't the big thing that it used to be. And I'm perfectly fine with that. I'd rather have all the hay in the barn in December and fill your needs in, in February. Yeah, I agree with that. It kind of takes the shine off of the February date, but it makes December more exciting, kind of keeps the juice flowing after the conference championship games and rolling into bowl season and all those type things. So I don't mind it too much. I did see something just talking about the early enrollees and guys to get excited about for 2020, but 
did you see that Kendall Milton is already up to 227 pounds after being on campus for like six weeks? I did. If he had dreadlocks, I, he would look like Todd Gurley. Like it's, it's ridiculous as a freshman. He has just been so impressive for me and somebody who I feel like has really just kind of skirted by the the narrative. I mean, I think we talked about last time he was one of the Pied Pipers for this class. And every time you hear the kid speak, he just is very impressive. The body is impressive. I mean, he still runs, I think, like a, a 4.55 or 4.6 laser time in the 40. You're talking about that kind of speed at playing at 227. Two, they're expecting like 230 in the fall. I mean, good Lord. He could be an absolute stud. But it's always those guys who commit early. I don't want to say like rivals in 247 have agendas, but they try to sell memberships and that's how they make their money. And they need to talk about people who are uncommitted or who, who are wavering and people who are rock solid commits. They just don't generate any buzz. And Kendall Milton, you know, I think at one point he was ranked in the top 15 in the nation. Then he dropped to like 29 because people were jumping him because they were ranked higher because they were uncommitted or they were there were a couple schools that were pulling after him really hard stuff like that and you're already seeing it because rivals just released their top 100 and really there's been just a little a few camps that have gone on but vandegrift who's committed dropped i think two spots or one spot and caleb williams jumped up three spots so it's like nothing has really happened to really justify those two changing places but those two have changed places. Now Caleb Williams is the number one ranked quarterback for the 2021 class. But all the only thing that's really changed is Vander Griff is committed and Caleb Williams is not. Yeah, and I, to, to your point, I do think a lot of this, right, is just fodder for, for talking season, you know, because we don't have actual football to talk about. So it's it's something fun to jockey back and forth about and, and kind of pique the interest throughout the offseason. But at the end of the day, the, the rankings are, are high school rankings, and they still got to come into the university that they choose, be developed, learn the system, do well in the system, you know, learn the academic pace, all those type things. I, we had discussed around the time of the Super Bowl, there was an article released, I think, by CBS Sports that we had both talked about where they went through and ranked the average recruiting ranking coming out of high school for all 22 starters for both the Chiefs and the Niners. And what was the, the outcome of something like the the Chiefs had the average was 2.67 stars and the Niners were like 2.45 stars or something of that nature. Um, Super interesting article. Just thought it spoke to the fact that it's really a guessing game, right? You know, some of these kids aren't even done growing yet. Uh, They haven't hit their peak. Maybe they haven't even been playing organized football that long. So a lot of ceilings for a lot of these guys. I think that's always the interesting thing with these classes is to see the guys who were not four and five stars that end up coming out and be the guys drafting the NFL. And I think Georgia has a recent history of that, right? I mean, number of guys that were not these four and five star recruits that have gone on to have great careers. I mean, DeAndre was a three star. Is that right? Eric Stokes, the same, right? No, DeAndre was actually a four star. He was the first four star for in his class. Um, okay. He was the, he was the first non five star in his class, but Eric Stokes was a three star. There's several, Tate Crowder was a two star running back. Right, right. That's right. Monty Rice was a three star. Um, I believe, but I actually have the article up. Uh, it's by Barrett Salih. Sally. Sally. I, yeah. I don't know how to say. It. See, he is with CBS Sports, though. Yeah, but but interesting. I, I did want to point this out uh, to bring up because everybody's so obsessed with stars in the Super Bowl on these teams. The Chiefs had three five stars, and the Niners had one between the two. But so f- uh, four total five stars. And you're right, the minimal it was like 
point, I can't find the exact number, but it was like 0.18 was the difference between the two teams. Oh, I'm sorry, 0.21. If you're looking at that article, what I found most interesting, did you see the position where the star rankings were the lowest, which kind of indicates that the ceiling for growth is the largest was along the offensive lines? It was on the offensive line, yeah. Yeah. And then one of these, uh, which I find just interesting as well, is Eric Fisher. Wasn't he the number one overall pick? He was a two-star. That's correct. Yeah, I also found that interesting. So I, it's just very, if you have a chance to read it, it's a very interesting article. It's very, you know, numbers-driven. If you if you like numbers, I love numbers. It's very interesting uh, to look at. Patrick Mahomes, you know, pretty much, you know, the face of the NFL right now. He was a three-star. It just, it depends on where you go, how you're developed. Stars don't matter when you get to college. It's all about how you develop, how yeah. you grow, how you eat, how you are in the weight room. And you know, really how you work is really what it boils down to. Yeah. And I think the thing that gets lost in this, right, is it's the first time these kids are away from home. So it's the first time they're not in an environment they've been in their whole lives. It's the first time they're not surrounded by people they've known their whole lives. It's the first time essentially they're being asked to function like a man, right? Like to to be responsible, to be accountable for themselves, to to not have somebody handhold them the whole time. Now, I know at the big universities like Georgia, they have the academic service staff and, and all the support staff trying to get them where they need to go. But at the end of the day, they're the ones that have to make the decision about whether they work or not, whether they watch extra film, whether they eat the right things when nobody's watching. So I think that's a big part of it, right, is how accountable they are and how big the drive for greatness is. And I think Kirby's spoken to that. That a little bit. Uh, didn't he make a comment during during the bowl lead up about kids coming to Georgia and being spoiled and not working and believing all their own hype and how it was a kind of a disease there and, and how he wanted to change that? And it seems like with the quality of kid that's been recruited in this class, that was something that was a big focus. Did, did you see that as well? Yeah, he definitely has spoken to the quality of kid that he wants at Georgia. He definitely has spoken about character, and he's not afraid to tell someone no, and I think we've seen that with the Zach Evans case. Um, quality as in person and quality in player, they have to mesh for what he wants at the university now. It's not so much just what you can do on the field. And I think that we're going to see that going forward. I don't think it's going to – you can be a stellar athlete, put up great numbers, but if you – do bad in the classroom or if you're just, you know, a cancer in the locker room, then you're going to be gone. I, I just don't think he's going to put up with it anymore. I don't think he, I don't think he, I think he realizes he's not going to win a title with that type of locker room. Yeah. I, the other thing I've kind of loved about the rhetoric from Kirby around the recruiting process this, this year has been, no different than with hiring Todd Munkin and no different with him being open to changes. I just think it shows that his general, his general attitude is one that is not scared to change. He just wants to win. And he, he seems to be not letting his ego get in the way of that. And I don't think that's always the case. That's been something that's been positive. A big positive takeaway over the last few months is watching him within this ecosystem after the year that we've had and, and kind of just trying to listen carefully to what he's been saying and read between the lines. But okay, where is where is he at with this? Where is he going? And, and he seems to be growing and evolving. It's always interesting to me. Have you ever heard Seth Emerson, either in his articles or on his podcast, talk about how he thinks or, or people tell Kirby all the time that if he wasn't in coaching, he could be an executive for a Fortune 500 company? I have heard that, yeah. 
Yeah, and I find that interesting, right? Because the the main vein of that is that he's an excellent leader. That regardless of the room he walks in, whether it's a room full of football players or a room full of board members in an executive organization or a Fortune 500 company, that the message will play and his aptitude will play. And so I think that's awesome, right? What an asset to have at the head coach, because essentially they are the CEO of your football program. And I think what happens sometimes at schools is the guy that gets hired, he's a football guy. And you certainly want that. I don't think anybody would accuse Kirby of not being a football guy, son of a high school coach, grew up in it, loves it, uh, eats, sleeps and breathes it. But there are other things to it. There are other decisions, especially in the modern game today, whether it be marketing, whether it be branding, uh, any of those things. And he seems to have them just jacked up that he's the one at the head of the program and excited about what we're going to see moving forward. Yeah, me too. I completely agree that with Emerson's thought process there, he's just someone you want leading people. He's just someone you want to follow. I mean, you know, anytime you see those little clips, um, you know, I can't say it on the podcast because, you know, trying to be family friendly, but anytime you want to bleep and eat, you know, I just want to bleep and eat, you know, stuff like that, you know, it makes you want to run through a brick wall, it makes you want to work for the guy, it makes you want to work that much harder. You know, he's just, he connects so well with these kids. It's amazing. Like, um, I mean, I know he's younger and he's energetic and stuff like that, but I feel like when he's, you know, 55, like, I don't feel like that personality, that energy is going to go away just because he gets older. He is who he is. And I love that about him. Like, I, I'll be the first to admit when Kirby was hired because he'd never been a head coach, I was very skeptical. I loved the personality. I loved the fire. I loved everything like that. But any first time coach, you're just very skeptical about that. But then you see the passion and the fire and you see the, you, you take the lumps with it, but you see like what he's built in such a short amount of time. And the sky is the limit for this program. And it's sustainable based off of just, him and his work ethic and what he does on a day daily basis to push this program. He is not going to let this program fail. He is going to do everything in his power. And if the program fails, that reflects on him. And he's just not that type of person. He will do anything in his power to put that G on top, whatever it takes. Yeah, I absolutely agree with that. I think he has a voracious appetite for success and for excellence. And we've talked about that in past podcasts, but I think that's the running theme of his regime is the chase for excellence. You know, they are wanting to catch excellence every day. And if you're a fan of the program or you follow the program, if you're connected to the program, that's just something you got to be so fired up about. Like it, it just, it makes you excited about what's going to happen. And, and there just doesn't seem to be as much doom and gloom, right? Like we've talked about this before people get bent out of shape for a 12 and two season. And five years ago, we would have done backflips for that. And now it's just, well, that's the standard. And that's, he's the commonality in that, right? I mean, he, he is the driving force in that and he's going to keep bringing people in that are wanting to catch excellence, whether it's players, coaches, support staff, whoever it may be. So, I mean, I'm fired up about it, man. And so uh, I just, this, the recruiting class is, I think is a small indication of that. It's just more quality talent, more quality people within the program, more guys for them to develop and and be all behind the G. So we're all for it, man. Well, uh, you you got anything you want to close with today? Another great finish, another great recruiting class. It's funny, the class just ended on February 5th, and you already, this past Saturday, 
that had a camp down in Miami and Georgia being the brand that Georgia is, all the kids down there were right in the mix of all the schools the kids are talking about with the Bamas, the LSUs, the Ohio States, the Clemsons were one of the three to five schools that all the kids, top kids are talking about. It's just, it's amazing because like you said, five years ago, we were in the talk of maybe two of those kids' mouths, and these are all Florida-based kids. Now we're in all of them. All the top kids out of Florida, you know, are thinking about coming to Georgia, whereas we would have to like, you know, hope that we could pick, you know, get lucky with two of them. And now they all want to come here. It's just amazing what has happened. So that's a testament to Kirby and the hard work he's done. And we're living in the in the good old days, folks. That's all I will say. You know, we're going to look back on this and these last three years where we haven't won it. We're going to think, you know, we had to suffer through 17 and struggle in 18 and 19 to get where we will be. And they're going to be the good old days. So enjoy it while, while it's here because you never know when it's going to go away. Yeah, I'm with you. Georgia is a national brand now for sure. I don't think there's any question with that. If you look at the TV rankings uh, over the last few years with games they've been involved in, whether it be the SEC championship games with Alabama, you know, the Notre Dame game uh, between the hedges, the the viewing numbers are huge. Uh, the amount of kids that are that are talking about the university from a football perspective is growing day by day. The, the money still keeps coming into the athletic department. They are spending it on the f- success of football and the growth of football broke ground on the new facility. The renderings were released. I mean, G stands for growth right now when it comes to Georgia. So an exciting time to be a fan of the program. Uh, As always, thank you all for joining us this week. We certainly love having you come bark at us on Instagram or Twitter. We want to know what you're thinking, what you want us to talk about. Uh, Go on whatever podcast uh, site you you, you access your podcast from. Give us a, a rating, review us, subscribe, anything you can do. The more ratings and reviews we have, the more visible we get and the more people we can talk dogs with. So we're happy to have you with us. We're happy to bark with you. And as we say every week, go dogs, sick them. Go dogs. Hey, George is better now.